0: God is so good. I've enjoyed this series on the Beatitudes. I, I have learned things that I never really, some of the things were pieces of things that I'd heard here and there, but I'd never really studied it all in, in this form before in my life. And, um, and I, I think it has made, um, I love this, pro, I love the idea that, that each one, each of the Beatitudes builds on the next one. Because like, that, that helps me. I, I like I like things to be organized and make a little sense and that has helped me a whole lot. And today we're gonna talk about blessed are the merciful. Um, Again, everything, remember every lesson builds upon the next lesson. um, And so I'm gonna kinda tie this into where it fits in the rest of them as I get there in just a little bit. But sometimes, what I wanna start with is this. Oftentimes we see events that show us the worst in human beings. Um, The news is really, really good at showing us the worst in humanity, um, I think of uh, the events that happened in the summer of 2020. Um, you know, we had, um, the, we had some police, uh, alleged police uh, violence. Um, people were killed. There were riots then that followed all that. There were all kinds of stuff happened. Um, we saw things that really did look like and probably were in some cases injustice that were perpetrated. Um, and I'm always going to support police officers. I'm in law enforcement. But we grant grant our law enforcement people lots of power, don't we? So we should expect a lot from them because they are given a lot of power. But we also saw as a result of what was alleged to have been done wrong, we saw literally wanton criminal looting, rioting, all kinds of things that were not right also. Um, We saw arson. We saw shootings. We saw raw hatred on both sides. And we've seen it over and over again, haven't we? Um, If you're old enough, you remember the Watts riots. In L.A. Um, I remember it was very formative in my youth was the 92 riots um, in and in, uh, in also in L.A. Um, and there was uh, uh, some interviews that went on during the 92 riots and one lady told the television crew she said if you had treated us right we would not be doing this and in doing that you think about what she did she blamed everybody else for her actions There was another lady that was loading the trunk of her car with merchandise that she had just looted from a store, and she was asked if what she was doing was considered stealing. And she said it's not wrong, because if it was, the police would have stopped her from doing it. Think about that statement for just a second, because there's multiple layers there. She probably hadn't thought it through, but in saying what she said, she based her morality on what she is physically restrained from doing. It's easy for us to judge her, but we've done the same thing before. We have, we, have, we have literally not done things because we were afraid to get caught. So, I mean, it's easy to judge her, but I've done it. There was a kid who was perhaps two, 12 years old, and he was carrying a bunch of things from a store that he had just stolen, and he was asked why, why he was doing it, and he said, hey, man, it's fun. <laughs> By what stretch of imagination can the deaths, the beatings of innocent victims, the looting, the theft, the fires... All that stuff, how can any of that be justified? And it's not just riots in faraway places. Alexandria has a ton of crime. I mean, my Lord, I, I re- see, y'all read the news and y'all are like, I'm staying out of Alexandria. I read the news and like, that case is gonna be on my desk. <laughs> I'm gonna have to deal with that. Um, but Bentley has crime. Pollock has crime. Colfax has crime. Ball has crime. All the places, Tioga has crime. All the places that so many of us live and have to go. work and have to shop. There's lots of crime. And everywhere you look, people are mistreating each other. And many excuses have been given and will continue to be given by those who have long ago forgotten God's commandments to men. Those people that we see doing those things and ourselves even sometimes, they fit the description of Romans 1 and 32. Although they know the ordinance of God, Those that practice such things, and those things were defined in the the verse prior, and it's greed, evil, murder, strife, malice, insolence, arrogance, unloving, and unmerciful. Those that do those things, those people are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice those things. And some politicians and commentators have said that the violence was because people were poor. Really? My dad grew up in the Spring Hill community. They didn't have indoor plumbing until... He was about 12, I think he's told me before. He knew what being poor was. My grandfather was happy to get any work he could get. Oftentimes he worked two jobs just to pay the light bill at the dry prong church. Why didn't my dad and my grandfather riot and commit crimes? The truth is that poverty did not lead to the rioting or the stealing or the looting that we've seen in, in many places. Poverty doesn't even really lead to crime anger, hatred, selfishness, and greed lead to crime. All of those things though that I just named, they're characteristics of man's sin nature. We've all got them within us. And it was greed mixed into the equation with the hatred and the anger that resulted in the looting and the burning and the, and the rioting that we saw, stealing anything that wasn't nailed down and destroying anything that you couldn't steal with little regard to whom it belonged. And some sought to explain the rioting as a reaction of one race to the oppression by another race. And let's face reality racial prejudice, discrimination, and hatred, they go both directions, and it shouldn't surprise any of us to hear that. It is the true sin nature of man coming out. Man is proud and man is self centered, and his view of life is self centered. Men view those who are like them as being okay. But anyone who looks different, there's something wrong simply because of their appearance. The solution to all the troubles that we saw erupt in 2020 and we've seen erupt since and and even before, as well as all the wars and the hatred and the crime that are continuing to this very day is actually very simple. But man in his sinfulness is unwilling to seek it, much less do it. Men need to turn their eyes from themselves and the things of this world and turn our eyes to Jesus Christ. That's a very simple answer to the problems that we're facing. Racial problems. Galatians 3 and 26 through nine tells us that those who are in Christ Jesus are sons of God. They're Abraham's seed and heirs. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's no black or white is what the Bible, Jew and Greek was about as big a distinction. Nowadays, we'd probably say black or white. In Jesus Christ, your ancestry is not important. Economic inequality. The same passage also says that in Jesus, there is neither slave nor free. That, that, there's no rich or poor in the kingdom of God. The poor and the rich are valued the same in the kingdom. And here's, the, here's what's really important. Keep this in mind. The poor and the rich have the same amount in their bank account in the kingdom. And here's how much we have. We're both bankrupt. I'm bankrupt, but so is Warren Buffett in the kingdom of God. God has all of mine. He clothes me with his righteousness. I don't have anything. I am bankrupt. And that brings us back to our study of the Sermon on the Mount. That was my politicizing for the day. I'll, I'll stop now. I've just i always felt strongly that people have come up with all kinds of solutions to the race problem, and the solution to our race problem in this country is at the foot of the cross. The solution to all the problems we're facing, but especially that one, is at the foot of the cross. We've already seen in our study of Beatitudes that this is not a list of things you must do to get into heaven. The Beatitudes are not a list of things to do, rather it is a statement of fact concerning the blessings that a person who has those qualities will receive. And we have also seen that those character qualities are not things that any human being, no one in this room can do on their own. They must be the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of an individual. And as such, they describe a righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, without which no man can enter the kingdom of heaven. And so this morning we come to the fifth of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If this Beatitude alone was in operation amongst humans, then crime would stop and all wars would cease. It really would. This one by itself, all of of them are important and they're great and we need them for salvation and we need them to be a part of the kingdom. But this one right here would solve most of our problem by itself. But men, we know, are not merciful. They are by nature cruel, and the cruelty continues to this day. So let's define what mercy is. Webster defines mercy as compassionate rather than severe behavior towards someone in one's power. So I have power that I could exercise, but I am compassionate instead. And that's, that's really close to the Greek word that is used here. If mercy was the prevailing attitude of people, then we would not have people stealing from each other. We would not have people abusing one another. We would not have people killing one another. And we would not have people judging one another. But man's tendency is not to be merciful, is it? We like to be, you know, in fact, when we do it, we'll post it on Facebook. We did something merciful because it really does stand out. It's not the norm. We're not merciful. The Greek word here was usually, was originally used to describe the emotion aroused by contact with an undeserved affliction, which comes on someone else. Someone is in a position where they're being afflicted. They didn't deserve it. This is just, it's bad luck. Life has happened to this person and therefore it it, it evokes a feeling in me. And we might use the word sympathy, pity or compassion to describe that in English. The meaning of the word broadened with usage and came to mean more than just the emotion of compassion, but also of taking action. And then that word that's used oftentimes in the KJV, loving kindness is kind of the, where, where it ended up. And in the Old Testament, this was the kindness which we owe one another in our mutual relationships with each other. And in the New Testament, this is the divinely required attitude of man towards other men. Required, divinely required of man to man and we are to show it in both cases of earthly need and also out of concern for the eternal welfare of others. The greatest story of mercy is the story of the good Samaritan, isn't it? We, we all know that story. Luke ten thirty through 36, that's the best illustration. And Jesus replied and said, a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among the robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went off leaving him half dead. And by chance, a certain priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, and it's really important to mention right here. If you were a Jew, the only people you hated more than the Gentiles were the Samaritans. The Gentiles were bad because they weren't God's people. But the Samaritans were worse because they were half-breeds. They were half Jewish, half Gentile, and you didn't like them at all. So for, for a Jew to say that a Samaritan walked by, that's, that's, that's the worst he could think of. So Jesus says, but a certain Samaritan, the one that we should be hating the most, who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put, on his own, put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two coins and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I'll return and I will repay you. The priest and the Levite, they could have had pity, right? They saw the man in his injury. They saw what was going on. Maybe they could have even had sympathy, but they walked on the other side. They walked right on around. They did not have mercy. Absolutely. It's clear from that parable. Those two guys did not have mercy. But the Samaritan, on the other hand, he saw the poor guy and he responded to that compassion he felt, and he also helped the man. He felt the compassion, he felt mercy, and he also did something. That act of mercy cost the Samaritan something, right? It cost him his time, cost him his money. There's no telling what business he had to take care of that this delay may have cost him. We don't know, but it clearly cost him something. He stopped on his journey to render aid and then he took the man to the inn where he took care of him that night and then he left some money for the innkeeper to take care of him until he returned. We see that in this world today. Thankfully, we do. There are people who will stop and who will reach out. We can all tell a testimony of someone who has helped us in need. Maybe you had a flat tire. Maybe you were at the hospital and and alone or something and you were sitting up with a sick loved one and someone showed you kindness. But we can all testify to events. I've, I've painted things pretty bad as as far as the way men act towards men, but the truth is there is still some kindness out there. There is still some mercy. There is still acts of mercy in the midst of all the sorrow. There's compassion still. And many times people show it at great risk to themselves. So I'm not, I'm not saying it doesn't exist. So what is mercy and love? It's helpful for us to discuss the word mercy by comparing it to some things that are like it. And, that, and, and love is oftentimes put in there because it's a related concept. So we have mercy and love. Mercy flows out of love. Love exists first and then mercy flows out of it. Love is a greater idea and mercy is a part of love. And Ephesians 2 and 45 brings this out just crystal clear, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love. God had great love towards us and then he had rich mercy as a result of that love. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. God's mercy came as an act of his love. That's important for us to remember. When we show mercy, we do it because it comes from a place of love. Next, I wanna talk about mercy and grace, and they're closely related, but they're not the same. Both deal with the pain, the misery, and the distress of the consequences of sin, and both flow out of love. But mercy seeks to give help because of compassion, and grace is an undeserved blessing that is given. Grace may be motivated by compassion, in which case it's almost like mercy or it's simply even goodwill. We can give grace that way. But, but, and there's overlap and there is often confusion. The good Samaritan was merciful in that he responded to the, with compassion for that injured man and wanted to help him. But he also showed grace in that he went on to give that man an undeserved blessing. He did something more than just stop and help him. He then took him the rest of the way. He demonstrated grace. Mercy meets the need that is present. It it, it sort of staunches the bleeding. Mercy does that. But grace goes beyond and becomes an additional blessing. Mercy would describe those who in compassion would go to a disaster area to volunteer to help, and grace would go further by actually going to Lowe's, Home Depot, stocking up on all the supplies and paying for all those supplies. One says, mercy, I wanna help. The other, grace says, I wanna be a blessing we can see this in ephesians 2 4 through 5 when the scripture i just read but god being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved through faith and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in christ jesus according to that passage god in his mercy saw us when we were dead in our transgressions and he made us alive but in his grace He went further to bless us with raising us up and seating us in a heavenly place. Mercy and grace overlap. They are distinguished from each other, though, in that mercy moves to compassion to meet the need while grace extends a blessing. Another facet to mercy, something we we would compare it with, is forgiveness. This is mercy that extends to someone who has wronged us or who has been against us. An example, a great example is a soldier in war comes across a, an enemy combatant who's injured. And this guy's been fighting him five minutes later or five minutes before and now he sees this guy injured and, and so he goes to help him. Another example, one that we've all done, <laughs> a parent that gives aid and consoles their child after their child has injured themselves after disobeying us. <laughs> Anybody ever done that with your kids? You Nope, don't climb up on that, just don't climb. And they climb and they fall, and they cry, and we go to them, right? They wronged us, they disobeyed us, but we're gonna go help them, right? We're gonna do that. Titus 3 and 5 tells us that we have not earned forgiveness by doing good deeds, but are forgiven simply according to the mercy, the washing of regeneration, and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness flows out of mercy. Mercy has a relationship to justice too, and that may seem contradictory to you, justice gives us exactly what is deserved whereas mercy gives less punishment and more help than is deserved there's a story out of the civil war there was a young man he fell asleep on guard duty and when he was caught the general sentenced him to die his mother came to the commanding general and asked him to be merciful to her son the general explained what the young man had done the seriousness of the offense and why he must die for it and the mother simply replied i did not ask you for justice I came to ask for mercy. Justice gives us what we, I deserve to die in my sin. I have wronged God with my sin, but mercy says, nope, I'm not giving you what you deserve. Mercy and justice, they would seem to be exclusive of each other. And, and I, I tell you what, I've done this before. Some of us apply this idea to God and say that he cannot be both just and merciful. For God to punish in our, us in our sins, that would negate his mercy, right? If God punishes us, then he must not be merciful. And for God to offer mercy without the punishment for sins, that would negate the justice. He can't do both, can he? That's what some people say. They argue, make, they make that argument. Yet I'm arguing to you today that God is both just and merciful. God does not show mercy without punishing sin. God is merciful, but he does not overlook sin. Right. To ignore sin would be to overlook the truth. And mercy and truth are inseparable, according to Psalms 85 and 10, they are met together. In a court case, in a criminal court case, a judge can change the sentence that a a jury does. That may be merciful, but it wouldn't be just, would it? Jury came back guilty and the judge, oh no, no, this poor guy's had a rough life, I'm, I'm changing it, but that wouldn't be just. And God, thank the Lord, he's so unlike any human judge, He must perfectly satisfy justice when he shows his mercy. In most acts of mercy, someone has to pay a price. The good Samaritan paid the price in that parable, didn't he? He literally paid the price with money and with his time. He paid the price in helping the injured man. In acts of mercy involving forgiveness, there's also a price that must be paid someone must absorb the damage caused by the offender and no longer hold it against him god was that person for us he did so towards mankind in that he paid the price for sin in himself in christ jesus and since therefore justice is satisfied by the sacrifice of the cross then mercy can be freely shown by god God's mercy is grounded not only in his love and grace, but also in his forgiveness based in his justice. And that brings up now a new question for us, how do I obtain this mercy? Some have looked at this beatitude and they have sort of like isolated it by itself and they've come to a false conclusion. Some have said that blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy, means that you earn mercy by being merciful. In other words, if you want to get mercy, you have to show mercy. However, that is simply not true in the sinful world that we live in. There are many people who have shown mercy but did not receive it. And there's others who have taken it to mean that if you want God's mercy, you have to earn it. That's not true either. If mercy was something that was earned, it would cease being mercy. You don't have to earn God's mercy. When your employer pays you at the end of the week, He's not being merciful. He may be gracious and give you more than you. You might have just been on Facebook and Amazon all week, but you still got your paycheck. Maybe he's gracious in giving you more than you earned, but that's grace. It's not mercy. So what then does this beatitude mean? Remember, we cannot isolate all these statements from each other. They all flow together. The Sermon of the Mount is not a random assemblage of thoughts. God didn't just throw it out there. Hey, you just write it. John, Luke, Matthew, just write things down. You know, No, it's in a very particular order for a very particular reason. It is a well-constructed manifesto by a king concerning the nature of those who would be in his kingdom. Everything in it ties together. Each one of the Beatitudes builds on the previous one. The person that we're talking about today, the merciful person who is being described and having the, the characteristic of being merciful and therefore receiving the blessing of mercy has already dis- demonstrated the characteristics that have previously been mentioned. You cannot just pop up and be merciful in the sense demanded by this scripture without, um, without understanding the ones that go before it. You're not going to find mercy in some isolated event. It's going to be a part and it's going to flow from the ones before it. Those other beatitudes must be present. The idea here is that those who are described by those other qualities we've talked about the last four weeks will be merciful themselves and also receive God's mercy. Here's what they're going to be. This is just a, a refresher. They will be poor in spirit, and, in, and, and they're going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. They will mourn, and they shall be comforted. They will be meek and inherit the earth. They will hunger and thirst after righteousness and they shall be filled. And then today's beatitude, they will be merciful and receive mercy. It's a progression. Don't just pick your favorite beatitude and strive to work on that one. It would be so easy for us to pick, man, I love that one. I just wanna be a merciful person. Don't pick your favorite one and work on that one. Start at the beginning and start incorporating all of them into your life. I love mercy and I need mercy, I, I desperate. I know how desperately I need mercy, but I have to start out poor in spirit and it's going to lead me naturally to the next one and the next one and the next one and to mercy. Mercy here is akin to that of forgiveness and it is found in Matthew 18 in which the man who was forgiven a huge debt of incredible proportion, remember the story, refuses to forgive another man who owes him a pittance. Remember that? The man that was forgiven the great amount proved he did not have a clue about mercy in, that he, in the way he treated the other man. He had been extended great mercy, and then he refused to extend it to another, and the master who gave him the money or forgave the debt revoked that forgiveness and threw him in jail. Wow, what a lesson that is for us to learn. The person who is poor in spirit The person who is mourning over their sin, the person who is meek, and by meek, remember we talked, that is submissive to God. That's letting God's will take over in all things. The person who is hungering and thirsting after righteousness, that person is going to be merciful. It's going to flow. One thing is going to flow from the next. And if a person is not merciful, then the other qualities are going to be lacking I'm just being very honest with you today. It's going to show if you lack mercy, it's going to show that you do not have a righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Remember, that's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. Your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. But if there's no mercy in my life, then my righteousness does not exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Therefore, Logically speaking, I'm not in the kingdom. Uh, I would go so far as to say that we are not true Christians without these things operating in our lives. And that scares me because then I will not receive God's mercy. What does it mean then to be merciful? What is the nature of this mercy that we are called to give? We see it come up throughout the, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're gonna talk about some of these examples later as we, as we continue, but I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit. In, math, in Matthew 5, 21 through 26, we're told about dealing with our anger. Mercy doesn't respond to anger, not even name calling. Mercy goes to seek reconciliation with those that have something against us. In Matthew 5, 38 through 42, Jesus deals with revenge. Mercy does not seek revenge. It's a forgiving attitude. It adds grace and it becomes a blessing even to the person who wronged us. Yes. Oh, In 5, 43 and 48, Jesus deals with the nature of love. Mercy goes beyond loving those that just love you. It's love your enemies. Mercy loves the unlovable. These are qualities that are hard. But they're not hard if we stop it if we start with poor in spirit. They really aren't. They're only hard if I just say, Oh, be merciful today. Somebody cuts you off with the red light, smile. Somebody calls you a name, smile. You're gonna say no, Chris. No. But if we start with poor in spirit, if we start with I am bankrupt before God, Amen. then I'm gonna get to merciful. Does that make sense? If I came and just preached just this message today with nothing before it, you guys would be thinking, wow, that is pie in the sky, Chris. Literally, pie in the sky. Thanks for your kind words. It sounds lovely and great, but I'm going back out the back door, getting in my car and doing what I used to do. But when we start to build on these things, they will start to become a part of our lives. And this mercy, which I can't show on my own, I will have God's strength to show that mercy to people who wrong me. In Matthew 6, two through four, Jesus deals with almsgiving. The Greek word is, is, is the exact same word as mercy. And it says that mercy does not seek to call attention to itself, but it works behind the scenes in humility. In Matthew seven, one through five, Jesus deals with judging one another. Mercy approaches every case of judgment with humble self-examination. Oh, we all know how easy it is to to look at ourselves with humble self-examination when someone's done us wrong, right? Oh, it's so easy. Somebody's mistreated me and man, the first thing I wanna do is, well, what did I do wrong? Is there anybody who just naturally would think that? It's not easy. In fact, it's the last thing that we want to do when someone's done us, done us wrong. The first thing we want to do is get revenge. <laughs> we don't want to think, oh, man, I, I am not perfect either. We don't. We don't want to do that. But if we do it, we will. if I look at myself, Chris, you aren't perfect either. Right. I will be humble. My response will be tempered. My response will be forgiving. Yes. And if anything... Mercy is to be characterized by humility, by self-control, by forgiveness, and it is even to be lovingly extended to our enemies. Does your mercy resemble that? Does mine. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. I've not been merciful this week. I've been downright rude and and mean to people. I've, I've screamed at my children when... And I'm not even gonna make an excuse about what they did. I have screamed at my children. I have said snarky comments to my wife. I have been unkind to people at work. I have gossiped at work. I've done those things. I have not shown mercy. Lord, forgive me. I've gotta start back at blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Chris, stop thinking you're worth a whole lot and start remembering you're bankrupt. I heard a story of a man named Ray and his son had just finished high school and was looking forward to college and the son had a job at a grocery store. One night he was working the grocery store job and he had gone out to get the carts and he came back into the grocery store in the middle of an armed robbery. He did not know what was happening and so he called out to the thieves. One of them turned and shot him dead in the middle of the grocery store. The father of the man whose name was Ray, when he was told about his son, his reaction was one of great mercy. This blows me away. He's been told just now that his son had been murdered. He said that he then should be the one to tell the murderer about Christ. Holy cow! That's mercy. That's mercy. Oh, that I could show that kind of mercy. Oh, that I could ever show that kind of mercy. God's mercy towards us is the supreme example of it all. We were sinners. Everyone in this room, you're not better than me, I'm not better than you. We were sinners. And our sin was the most offensive thing that could possibly exist to the holiness of God. Sin is the barrier between God and man. God can't penetrate the sin to get to us when we're in sin because sin is the barrier. God's holy. He can't become a part of sin. He can't get to us in our sin. We have to acknowledge our sin and ask for forgiveness. Now, God will move in our lives, but we can't experience his presence while we're in sin. Because it's offensive to God's holiness. But He had compassion oh, yeah. upon us. And out of the great love and His great mercy He had for us, He extended that mercy all the way to where we were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh wait, hold on a second. But wait, there was always God's justice, and it could not be ignored. God is as just as He is merciful. God is love, but he's also justice. Those, his characteristics don't change. So how do they all exist together at the same time? Sin demanded death. My sin demands my death. It demands a blood sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. My sin, we, we, we have forgotten that our own sin demands our own death. The blood of animals and the blood of goats, all that stuff was was to stand in the place of our sin. But my sin demanded my own personal death. Sin demanded death, but there was a payment that was made. Christ's payment on the cross. Romans 5 and 8 tells us the ransom of the cross. And on that cross when he said, Father, forgive them, we obtained forgiveness because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. And as the beneficiary of such great mercy, I must look at the mercy that I show. Does my mercy reflect God's mercy? Do I have compassion on those around me who are caught up in sin, even when their sin is aimed against me? They're talking bad about me. They're plotting my my demise. They're trying to knock me down because of sin, yes, but it's aimed at me. Can I show mercy to that person? Do I pity them and seek to mercifully help? The theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones has said, If I know that I am a debtor to mercy alone, if I know that I am a Christian solely because of the free grace of God, there should be no pride left in me. There should be nothing vindictive. There should be no insisting upon my rights. Rather, as I look out upon others, if there is anything in them that is unworthy or that is a manifestation of sin, I should have this great sorrow for them in my heart. That's how I should be to the sinner who is trying to misuse me. I should have sorrow in my heart for the state that they're in and long for them to come to repentance so that they could be forgiven of their sin. Since it is God that has brought me to salvation and it is His Holy Spirit that empowers me to live a Christian life, then yeah. if I am not merciful, there is only one explanation. I have never understood God's mercy and grace. Yeah. If I don't show it, then I never understood it. Right. Right. If, you know what it means? It means I am outside Christ. I am yet in my sins and I am unforgiven. Oh, I don't want to be that man. I do not want to be that man. I don't want to be that person. Not today and not on that day when I stand in front of him. And that day is going to come. Are you merciful? Do you have sorrow in your heart for those who are still in their sin even though they offend you and speak evil against you? Have you taken pity upon all those who are still the victims and the dupes of the devil's lies? Those who are enthralled by the world and the flesh and Satan. This is the test of this beatitude. If you can feel that way, that is the test of this beatitude. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Watch your reactions this week. Look at your initial first reaction, your natural first reaction. When somebody does you wrong, you know how we all react first. We insist upon our rights. We want our way. We wanna get revenge. Those are our natural reactions. Look at your natural first reaction and then try to let the lesson of this beatitude soften your next thought. That's all I ask you. I'm not saying you have to be perfect at it this week. We, we, we all got to go back to blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, yeah. But once I get to this place, when somebody does me wrong, I am going to initially mm, my temper, yeah. my anger, but let the second thought that goes through my head be that is a person who is in their sin, and I mourn their sin. Yeah. And I want to show mercy because I want them to receive the grace that I received. Exactly right. He showed us mercy. Such great mercy. And if I believe that I have obtained great mercy, I must show great mercy. This is not easy. Nothing that I have said today is easy. But it starts with blessed are the poor in spirit. When I start working my way through the Beatitudes, by the time I get to blessed are the merciful, then God has given me the strength to be merciful. When, every time we have a, a, one of these, we're talking about this particular Beatitude, go back that next week, go back when you leave church today, go back tomorrow morning, before you go to work tomorrow morning, and read up to where we are. Read the Beatitudes up to where we are and think about how am I incorporating those things into my life. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is about the people who are going to live in the kingdom of God. These are people, remember about our citizenship is not on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. And if we are citizens of heaven, we're going to be in his kingdom and we're going to follow his kingdom rules. These are those rules. These are the things, the blessings that will pour out of the lives of people who are in the kingdom. So start with the first beatitude in the morning and read all the way to this one. Don't even worry about jumping ahead. Just read the ones we've talked about. Start incorporating them into your life and then do what I said just a minute ago. When somebody does you wrong, I know your first instinct. I know what it's going to be, but let your second reaction be one of mercy. Show mercy to someone this week. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy.